Hi folks, I want to welcome you to our adult Sunday school time here at the Kerwinsville Christian Church. We are doing our survey through the Old Testament uh, during this time, and we're in a section of lessons that we've entitled Israel's Kings and Prophets. We're looking at 1st and 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles. Today we're up to lesson 24, and we're going to be looking at King Josiah. And we're going to look specifically at 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1, through 23, verse 30, and 2 Chronicles 34, 1 through 35, 27. Now, we have one more lesson left in this series of, met, series of uh, lectures that we're doing through First uh, and Second Kings and Second Chronicles, and that'll be next week when we look at the final four and their very quick reigns of the final four kings of Judah, and then the fall of Judah and Jerusalem to the Babylonians. And we'll take a look at that next week. So let's get our focus right now on King Josiah, who has, to be very honest with you, a very good reign, uh, who loves the Lord, and we're going to see that. And we're going to see there's actually no king like him uh, before or after him, and especially after him. So let's take a look. We're going to look, first of all, at Josiah becoming the king uh, after the death of his father Ammon. So Josiah was eight years old when he became king and ruled over Judah for 31 years. So he's eight years old when he becomes a king. So he's the young son of Ammon. Now remember, Ammon, his father, only reigned for two years before he was killed and they made Josiah the king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked according to the ways of David. So he's doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, you may not be aware, so Josiah now is the 16th king of Judah. So he is the 15th son in succession from David. Okay? 15th son in succession from David. And he's doing what's right. He's following the Lord. Now, the next big section will be from verse 3 of chapter 22 through verse 25 of chapter 23, as well as all of chapter 34 and the first 19 verses of chapter 35. These are going to be focused on Josiah's reforms. Now, Josiah, during most of his reign, is setting his sights on doing what's right with the Lord, and we're going to see why that is and what did he do here for most of our lesson, because that's what's happening with his life here. So notice now that in the eighth year of his reign, Josiah began to seek the God of his father, David. Okay, so remember, he becomes king at eight years old. Eight years later, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So he's purposing at 16 to truly seek after God. So then in the 12th year of his reign, so by this point he would be 20 years old, in the 12th year of his reign, Josiah began to purge Jerusalem and Judah of its idolatry. So really up until the 12th year, idolatry is existing in Judah, and we're going to see the extent of that here in a moment, okay? 
So he removed the idols and the high places as he broke down the altars to Baal. So he's removing all of this stuff that has been set up to worship the false idols of the gods of the other nations and, and, and Baal, and he's removing them and getting rid of them. Now, these items were ground to dust and spread on the graves of those who sacrificed to them. There was some sort of significance in doing that. That's kind of lost to you and I, the whole issue of doing this grinding at the dust and spreading them on the graves of those who sacrificed to them. Now, the bones of the priests were burned on their altars as he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So with these false gods and these shrines that existed, there would be priests who would have been appointed to set up the worship of these false gods. Well, Josiah has them killed, and he has them burned, and their bones, you know, the, they were basically spread the ashes of which were spread on the altars, burned on the altars, basically as a sacrilege to those gods. He did this in Manasseh, that's in the tribal area of Manasseh, in Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Nephtali to the north. So he didn't just do this in Judah. He does that in parts of the northern kingdom as well. So then notice now in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, he sent a servant to seek an accounting of the temple funds. Now, as you know, it was set up by the law that those who would come to the temple needed to contribute. And they would, out of free will, make sacrifices of finances to the Lord there. So Josiah is wanting to find an accounting of how the fund, how much the funds are. These funds were then to be used for the repair of the temple and must be delivered to the workmen. So once they determined how much the funds were, they decided, okay, he decided, okay, what needs to happen now is these funds need to be given over to the workmen to do the repairs on the temple. Now, isn't it interesting? We've seen this through several kings now that when they get right with the Lord, what do they do? They repair the temple. Why? It's called maintenance, folks. When you have, even like a church building, when you have a church building, things don't stay the same. Stuff gets old and breaks down, and that's true of buildings as well. And that would have been true of the temple as well. Now, there was to be no accounting of the funds given to the workmen because they were faithful men. Now, there was to be an accounting with the priests, but when it came to paying the workmen and giving the contractors, so to speak, the funds to do this, the contractors didn't need to account for their funds because they were faithful men. That's the point that's being made here. Now, something interesting happens, and it kind of like blows your mind, but it kind of tells you where people can get to. All right, so what do you mean? Well, when you read the text, it's both in Kings and in Chronicles. During the repairs, the high priest found a copy of the book of the law. So it's kind of like if we were repairing our church here. 
and we were making repairs. We're doing a spring cleanup. We're doing the painting and everything. And then it's kind of like, oh my goodness, look what I found. I found the Bible. What a find. That's kind of, you said, that's ridiculous, George. The Bible should be prominent. Well, the book of the law should have been prominent in the temple of all places, right? But they find a book of the law. So he gave a copy to Shaphan, the scribe, who read it and reported it to the king. So the king had a scribe whose name was Shaphan. So the high priest, he finds the book of the law. He gives it over to the scribe who then can read it. He reads it. And because of what he reads, he then goes and, and delivers the book and reports it to the king. When Shaphan read the book to the king, Josiah tore his clothes in grief. Now, probably what he's reading here, some speculate that what he's reading here is that he's reading the fifth book, which is the, Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy with, with the laws of Moses before they entered into Canaan, the cursings and the blessings, and what would happen in the future. Whichever portion he's reading, it's obviously having an effect on Josiah, so much so that he tore his clothes in grief because of what he was reading. So the king sent the high priest and others to inquire of the Lord concerning God's wrath. That's why people think that this, is a, this was the copy of Deuteronomy. Because God makes it very clear what the judgments will be when this happens. In fact, Moses made it very clear. Remember when we went through this, he said, in the future, you're going to turn away from the Lord and this is what's going to happen. And you will be carried away in exile. So obviously this is what Josiah is reading. He knows God's, God's wrath is coming, so he's got to find out from the Lord. He sends the high priest and others of his servants to go and inquire of the Lord. So they go and see a prophetess. They went to inquire of Huldah, the prophetess, who had a message from the Lord for the king. So notice now, it's not a prophet, but a prophetess. Here is a female who, has the, who is a prophet, and she has a message from the Lord. She stated that the Lord will bring calamity on Judah because they have forsaken the Lord. Basically, she's pronouncing what they already read in the law. Judgment is coming. That's what she's saying here. Judgment is coming. But because the king humbled himself at the reading of the law, Josiah will not see the judgment. Okay, so I want you to notice here. God's saying, it's happening. Judgment is coming. But listen, Josiah, because you humbled yourself when you heard my law, when you heard what I would do because of this, you humbled yourself, you yourself are not going to see the judgment. You're going to live and die peaceably. You're, well, I wouldn't say peaceably. We're going to see that here in a moment. But you're going to die without seeing this calamity. So the servants and the high priest brought back the word of the Lord to the king. So 
this prophecy from Huldah is then brought to the king and he is told everything that he needs to know there. Well, that brings us then up to chapter 23 now. And so you notice what the king does. I mean, this is where his integrity is. So the king sent his servants to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. So this isn't just something for him to know by himself. He's got to tell everybody else. So the king met with the elders and priests in the temple and read them the words of the law. Basically what had driven him to the point of humbling himself before the Lord because he heard of the coming judgment. He is reading that now to the elders and priests in the temple telling them the same thing. Now the king stood by the pillar. Remember we've mentioned this pillar before as being a place where kings stand to make a commitment. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant to keep the Lord's commandments. So he makes a covenant, I will do what the Lord says. Well, all of the people took a stand with the king to keep the covenant. So everybody who's there with him, we'll do it with you. We will keep the Lord's commandment. He's taking the leadership. They're following suit and following after the Lord. Now with that, here's what happens. The king commanded the high priest to bring all of the idolatrous items out of the temple. And folks, when you read the text, there's quite a list of them that were placed there. And he's there to bring them all out of the temple. These items were burned at the brook Kidron outside of Jerusalem. So outside of Jerusalem, they brought them to the brook Kidron and burned all of these idolatrous items there. Josiah had all of the excuse me, Josiah had all of the idolatrous items placed by the kings of Judah removed and destroyed. In fact, the text will tell you that there were some items that were placed by King Solomon. Now, probably even under Hezekiah, these were left because these were placed by Solomon. Here's what I'm saying. Josiah says, no, we're getting rid of all of the idolatry. We're getting rid of everything that is contrary to God and to his law and the commandments. And all of these things are taken away and destroyed. Not only was he content with cleansing, are you listening to me? Not only was he content with cleansing Judah, he wanted to cleanse Israel of its idolatry. So what does he do? He goes to Bethel. Josiah went to Bethel and destroyed the idol and the altar of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. Remember, it was in Bethel as well as in Dan that Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, the first king of the northern kingdom, he set up two golden calves. And remember, when we looked at this in the very beginning of our study through First and Second Kings, he did this to keep the northern tribes from continuing to go down to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship at the temple. He wanted to set up an idolatrous system in the north and cause the people just to stay there because he was afraid that if they continued to go to Jerusalem to worship, they would one, time, one day reunite with the throne of David. Well, he set up this false system and he set up these golden calves and he said, 
These are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. Where did he get that from? Well, remember the calf that was made in the wilderness. That's where he got it from. Okay, now remember, there was a prophet from Judah who came up and prophesied against Jeroboam and against Bethel in the altar there, saying that there would be someone named Josiah who would come and he would burn the bones of the priests on their altar and do away with these things here. And of course, this is happening now. And so Josiah, he goes to Bethel, destroys the idol and the altar of Jeroboam. Now he had the bones of the graves nearby burned on the altar in accordance with the prophecy. Again, he's doing this as some sort of sacrilege against this false god. Now the bones of the prophet from Judah who prophesied against the altar were not disturbed. And that included the bones of the prophet from the northern kingdom who, remember, told the prophet from Judah to stay when God had told him to go back to Judah. And, of course, he then prophesied to that prophet that he would die. Of course, he was then killed as soon as he left that northern kingdom prophet's house. And he was buried there in the hillside by the altar. And the northern kingdom prophet, what does he say? When I die, bury me with this prophet. Well, that's because his bones would not be disturbed. And that's exactly what the text says happens later on. So then, here's what I want you to see. Josiah removed all of the high places in Samaria and executed their priests. So he removed all of the high places, the shrines, and he executes all of their priests. Now, Remember, there was a Passover in Hezekiah, and at that point there was no Passover like it to be seen. Again, Josiah, knowing that they are commanded once a year to keep the Passover, but obviously they're not, commands that they do so. So the king commanded that the people keep the Passover to the Lord as written in the law. So both Chronicles and Kings very much present the reality of this. He called the Levites to prepare themselves by clans for the Passover. Now, here's the reason why. When you read the text, it's going to be very obvious. The Levites are needed because the people aren't used to keeping the Passover. So they will need to be instructed in making the sacrifices and keeping the meal. So he's telling the Levites to prepare themselves by their clans so that they can keep this Passover. Now, in order for to do this, everybody's got to have a sacrifice. So the king gave the lay, lay people lambs and goats, numbering 30,000 for the Passover offerings. Remember, a lamb was for, to be for each family unit or for individual. And obviously, there is people not having the capability of having a lamb to do that, so the king provides them those that number as well the text will go on and tell you that there were other leaders who provided as well other animals as well mainly a thousand or two thousand the chronicler records the details of the keeping of the passover so when you want to know the details of this passover you simply just need to go over to second chronicles and see the details there as it lists what happens and 
in the Passover for under Josiah. The people who were present kept the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. So remember, there would be the Passover meal, Passover, and then the following seven days would be a feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The writer states that such a Passover had never been held since the days of the judges. It also goes on and makes another little statement, and in all the days of the kings. So this must have been one spectacular keeping of this event. There hadn't been such an event like that ever. And sadly, folks, can I tell you, this will probably be the last time before the Babylonian conquest. When you see the final four kings who are coming up, this is not a priority. The Passover was held before the Lord at Jerusalem in the 18th year of Josiah. So at this point, he's 26 years old, folks. So in his 18th year of his reign, they have this Passover. And that's the reality of what's going on here. Now, his cleansing isn't just with the idolaters, but it's also with everything that is contrary to the Lord. So he removed the spiritists and the idols. What do you mean the spiritists? Well, the necromancers. He removed the witches. He removed the mediums. He removed the spiritists. Everyone that was contrary to the law, he had them removed and all of the idols as the law commanded. In fact, it goes on and tells you that there was no king like Josiah before and after him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart. There wasn't any king before him or after him, and especially after him, who would turn to the Lord with all their heart like Josiah. Now, you would think, all right, remember, we've already seen the prophecy of Huldah and basically saying that judgment is coming, except you're going to die, King Josiah, and not see the calamity. Now, you would think in doing all of this right stuff that, that God would relent and let them continue on and judgment would cease. Now, this is, important, this is a very important point you need to understand. Just because you end up doing the right things doesn't mean judgment's not coming. And that's exactly what we see here in verses 26 and 27 of 2 Kings 23. Because notice the text will tell you that in spite of Josiah's reforms, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his wrath towards Judah. So in spite of the reforms... The Lord didn't turn from his wrath. The Lord's anger against Judah was aroused by all of the provocations made by Manasseh. Now think about this. The Lord was so angered by what Josiah's grandfather did, he had pronounced judgment that this was going to take place. Now in our culture today, we would say, well, this has nothing to do with Manasseh. This is Josiah now. He should be accountable for himself. Listen, no, this is the point I want you to see. 
you can't remove the consequences from the prior event. I, I, you know, I see that all the day, even in our culture. Somebody does something wrong, and, and the heavy hand's on them. But, you know, they've reformed since then. They, they've become a better person. And now because they're a better person, they shouldn't have to face those consequences anymore. Folks, consequences are a result of the action. And yes, it's great that you reform, and we're glad for that, but that doesn't remove the consequences, and that's exactly what's happening here with Judah. Yes, under Josiah, there was a turning to the Lord, the people, they got rid of all the stuff, and basically, judgment's still coming. But guess what? As soon as Josiah dies, we're going to see this next week, they're back to their old ways again. Worshipping the host of heaven, worshipping Baal, worshipping the abominable Asheroth pole, offering their sons to the fire, uh, all of this stuff. Because their hearts weren't truly changed. See, you could clean up a pig, but you still have a pig. Did you understand what I'm saying? You could clean up a pig, but you still have a pig. And so God's judgment is coming. Now, the Lord stated that he would remove Judah and Jerusalem as he removed the northern kingdom. Now, it's interesting. When you read the prophets, they especially say that the sins of Judah were far more than the sins of the northern kingdom and even far more, are you ready for this, than Sodom and Gomorrah. And if he had to judge Sodom and Gomorrah and judge the northern kingdom, he must judge Jerusalem and Judah as well. So he was going to remove them as he removed the northern kingdom. So that brings us then to verses 28 through 30 of 1 Kings 23. We're also going to now notice 2 Chronicles chapter 35 verses 20 to 27. And we're going to look at the death of Josiah. Well, Pharaoh Necho, that is the Pharaoh in the Egyptian empire to the south, came up to fight against the Babylonians at Carchemish, and Josiah went to oppose him. Now, at this point, there is really a shifting of things happening here on the world scene at this point. We're at the point in history where the Assyrian Empire is collapsing. And there is the emergence of the Babylonian Empire under, at this point, he's a prince, but will soon become king, Nebuchadnezzar. There is an epic battle that is fought in Carchemish. Carchemish was to the north, northern part near Syria, this was a part of the Assyrian kingdom. Before that, it was a Hittite, an ancient Hittite city known for commerce and its military strength. And so Necho is coming up to counter, to do what he has to do, because he also sees part of Syria and Israel. He's coming up to oppose the Babylonians at Carchemish. Now here's what happens. Josiah... He's in his own little kingdom. He decides to go out and oppose Necho coming up to be involved in this war. Whatever the political reasons are, the text does not tell us. 
Pharaoh tried to dissuade Josiah from interfering since he was not involved. So Pharaoh, Necho, sends a message to Josiah saying, Yo, this has nothing to do with you. Stay out of it. It will not go well for you if you get involved. I have business. God is sending me to take care of what I need to take care of at Carchemish. Don't bother me. So Josiah did not heed the message and went in disguise to meet Egypt in a battle at Megiddo. What, what's that Megiddo, George? Well, Megiddo is a valley. Megiddo is a city in the plain of Megiddo or in the valley of Megiddo. It's also an area where many battles have been fought and the ultimate battle will be fought there, which we know as Armageddon. That's in the valley of Megiddo in the north of Israel. Here's what happens. Even though he's disguised, and we've seen this happen before. Remember Ahab, he goes to battle, he's disguised, okay? Egyptian archers shot Josiah, and he was taken from the battle and brought to Jerusalem. So Egyptian archers, they shoot him. He's wounded gravely. He's then taken to Jerusalem. He died from his wounds, and they buried him in the tombs of his fathers. So he dies from his wounds. Now, again, we're seeing another prophet being mentioned here now, the prophet Jeremiah, who began his ministry during the reign of Josiah. The prophet Jeremiah lamented for the king. Okay? So the prophet Jeremiah is lamenting for the king. And what happens now? The writer and the chronicler list where the reign of Josiah is recorded. Okay? So the reign is being listed where it is recorded in the various books. So the people of the land made Josiah's son, Jehoaz, king over Judah. And this is the first of the final four that we're going to talk about later. Now, that brings us to the end of our lesson today and the end of a good man. But the legacy of a good man are his sons. And we're going to see that it's not good. And so we're going to see the final four kings of Judah, which, by the way, we'll probably hear that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we're going to see the fall of Judah and Jerusalem as the Babylonians destroy the city.